0: After years and years of research, we now know that the PERS virus will enter pig cells through a cell wall protein called CD163. If we alter the shape of that protein by editing the DNA sequence that encodes it, we can prevent the virus from binding to that particular protein, thereby keep it out of the cell. It's just a perfect example of where editing can be applied.
1: Welcome to Inside the Helix, a podcast presentation from DNA Genetics. Throughout this series, we focus on all things that matter to the pork industry. You'll hear from our award-winning team of geneticists, veterinarians, animal care providers, nutritionists, and other industry-leading experts. We'll explore pig production from genetic improvement all the way to meat quality. Listen along as we take a deep dive Inside the DNA Helix. Improving upon an organism's traits or genetic makeup has long been a focus of plant and animal breeders. Historically, this has been a slow process, but now tools exist, such as gene editing, that can drastically change the traditional breeding process. Joining me to talk about this today is Dr. Tom Rathje, who is the Chief Technical Officer with DNA Genetics. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Tom, I feel I can add a lot of other titles to your business card as well. You know, scientist, geneticist, overall genius. I mean, what really got you interested in science and maybe more specifically genetics?
0: That's a great question. I, I, um, I grew up on a farm in Iowa, and, and we were a pretty traditional, diversified livestock operation, corn, so on. And, and I went on to Iowa State to study animal science. And while I was there, I really got exposed to genetics partway through my program, took a class from a professor named Max Rothschild. Max really exposed us to the industry, and I really give him a lot of credit for getting me interested in science. I always liked math. I always liked cattle and pigs
1: and livestock. Absolutely. So then animal breeding, that was that your Ph.D. then? Yep. Well, did yep. you always know you wanted to do a Ph.D.?
0: I, I didn't necessarily know that. I, I, like a lot of animal science students, I started out thinking I wanted to be a veterinarian. I got partway through pre-vet and decided, you know, I really don't like what veterinarians do that much. So uh, I, I went a completely different direction and, and, and just kind of followed my passion and, and what I really enjoyed and ended up with a PhD.
1: So it sounds like that genetics class really kind of changed your life. It really did. Has yeah. it always been, I mean, you said you came from a, a diversified farm has it always been the animal side of genetics was there ever any plant side in there was it mostly animals?
0: always been interested in animals always enjoyed livestock like I said we had cattle and a few pigs growing up but but always enjoyed the livestock side and and really were drawn to there
1: was drawn to that so you've been with DNA Genetics now for a few years now. How long have you been with the company?
0: Just a few. I'm on year number 28 this <laughs> 28. summer. 28, oh, okay, that's yep. that's
1: impressive, that's yep. impressive. Yep. Right right out of college, or did you do anything in between yep. that
0: finished, time? finished my PhD, and uh, my major professor was consulting for the founder of this company, and that's how I got to know the company and had an opportunity to start with them before we had even sold our first pig. So it's been a really fun ride for me to be a part of this. Absolutely.
1: Well, I feel like I could talk about your background all day, but let's dive into the topic at hand. I mentioned in the intro that we were discussing gene editing today. What is gene editing in its basic form?
0: So, you know, in in its most basic form, gene editing is really, it's a collection of different methods that we can use to change the DNA sequence of an animal. So the DNA sequence is what encodes the proteins that an animal produces in its cells and so on. And, And what we can do with gene editing is we can specifically change a spot in that sequence and that will result in a physical change in that animal. So, in and of itself, that's really what editing
1: does. So, Tom, a follow up question related to that. Is this something that's already being done on the plant side? For example, we hear a lot about genetically modified organisms or GMOs. Are these basically gene edits, or is this something completely different?
0: Well, gene editing certainly will do, um, we'll, we'll edit the sequence of DNA for, for any living organ, organism. I think there's a difference, though, between what we can do with gene editing and what a GMO is. So a GMO traditionally would be introducing a gene to a species that perhaps doesn't normally exist in that. So you might be um, moving a, a resistance allele for a herbicide into a plant, and that's maybe not normally part of that plant's natural genetic makeup, if you will. So GMO would fit under that definition. Gene editing in and of itself, wouldn't require that. So we could have an allele in pigs that confers resistance to something that is naturally occurring. And we're going to use editing to uh, make sure more pigs have that particular allele that we're after. So it's already there. It's already in nature. But we can use editing
1: to speed up that process. Yeah, you really tied into my next question nicely there, Tom. Why is this technology important to livestock? I think it's
0: kind of a, a... it's a path we've been on for a long time. So in livestock genetics, um, for, for centuries now, we've used selective breeding, uh, really to change the genetic code of livestock species. So, you know, we do that in a lot of different ways. So really the principle is you're, you're determining which animals get to reproduce for the next generation. So if I'm in the racehorse business, I'm going to want to produce my next generation of racehorses from the fastest parents. So I'm, I'm going to select traits that I desire and then use those to reproduce the next generation. If it's hunting dogs, you're going to use those parents that have the best hunting abilities and pigs in particular. Uh, we operate performance tests. We find the animals that have, for instance, the top growth rate using less feed. So they're more feed efficient. We identify females with superior reproductive ability and herd longevity And we use selective breeding and methodology to predict which are the best uh, uh, genetic-ranked animals, and those are allowed to reproduce the next generation. So you repeat that process over and over again over time, and you will improve population. Editing kind of comes alongside of that. So that's just another tool that we can use really to accomplish the same thing we've always been doing. The real opportunity with editing, though, is its accuracy. With traditional breeding, it can take numerous generations to make a genetic change and to have that desired change present in every animal in a population. With editing, in theory, we can do all that in one generation because we're going to go in and make a very specific change.
1: Can you elaborate on that a bit more, Dr. Rathjee? How does editing deliver on this promise of speed and, and accuracy?
0: So with editing, what we will do is we target a very specific change in the DNA sequence. What that requires though, is we have to know exactly what we want to change and where that is located in the genome. So there's a tremendous amount of background research that has to go into that. We can think of these specific spots as targets and developing a target is not, it's not a trivial task. To make uh, gene editing widespread and, and easy to use, we're gonna have to have those targets developed. but at least today, it's not a very quick process. But it's absolutely required to do editing because um, y- you want that change to be very exact, it has to be repeatable, and you don't want any other changes to occur in the genome of that pig other than at your specific target. A uh, good example of of this uh, process today is PERS resistance. Uh, It's an excellent example where we can apply editing. After years and years of research, we now know that the PERS virus will enter pig cells through a cell wall protein called CD163. Uh, We also now know that if we alter the shape of that protein by editing the DNA sequence that encodes it, we can prevent the virus from binding to that particular protein, thereby keep it out of the cell. If it can't, Get into the cell. It can't replicate. It can no longer affect infect the pig. And it's just a perfect example of where editing can be applied. Um, I'm optimistic. There's going to be other viruses and other things that we can look at to um, apply that same technique. To.
1: You know, Tom. When I'm listening to you talk, I'm wondering, gosh, where was I in science class? You know, I, I, I should have majored in something something different than agricultural communications because this is fascinating stuff. But then I realize I. I probably would have failed every class because this sounds like (laughs) complex stuff, but it's so, so very cool. So can a genetic supplier use editing in breeding programs today?
0: So today, experimentally, we can work with the technology, but we cannot yet place an edited animal into a production environment. Uh, In the United States, gene editing is regulated by the FDA. And there's an extensive imp- approval process that currently today follows a very similar path to the approval of a new drug, for example. That regulatory framework has been developing over the last several years to allow us to uh, approve gene edited food animals. And so today our answer is no. We cannot use that. However, you know, as for DNA genetics as a genetic supplier we we really can't afford to ignore the potential of this tool and what it can offer to our our, our society and the health and well-being of our livestock populations. Uh, so it's really important to work closely with our regulatory agencies to to really end on a very positive outcome because, um, you know, we need to have the public's confidence in it and it just has tremendous potential. So I think it's an evolving area and,
1: and a very important one for us. Tom, you mentioned PERS resistance earlier. Is DNA genetics working in this space?
0: Yes, we are. Uh, We are committed, and uh, we already have been involved in a project to create a PERS-resistant pig using a completely unique edit uh, in the industry today. As a genetic supplier, we we feel it's very important for our company to work on behalf of our customers and be engaged with technologies that can provide tremendous benefit to them. Uh, Gene editing is one of those technologies, and, and We feel the technology today has advanced to the point where we're confident in making this investment. It's no longer a bleeding edge technology. We like to use that term, but we would consider it more of a leading edge technology where at this point in time, we think investment will bring value to our customer base. If and when a gene edited animal is approved, DNA genetics will be ready to bring that benefit to the industry.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. So the potential of a pig resistant to PERS and you know, potentially other devastating pathogens is exciting. And it's also really great that science and technology has stepped up to the plate to help solve these problems. However, I'm sure that there's other considerations to consider. Let's talk about cost, first of all. What potential issues or problems are we looking at? That's a great question.
0: Let me start out by saying that I think what makes DNA genetics unique as a genetic supplier is the fact that we are owned by and actively involved in commercial pig production. So when it comes to something like gene editing, we, we, we really understand the slat level well, we understand production systems, and it gives us a perspective on these technologies that we really try and bring to bear on any, any decision we make, because there are consequences of any technology for a, a producer. Um, I, I think cost is an interesting discussion. Um, it's, it's really very early in the process to discuss cost. Uh, not to mention, it's also illegal to discuss hmm. the potential cost of any in- innovation undergoing FDA review. Uh, you can't do what FDA calls pre-selling until approval is rendered. Oh, so, sure. So I didn't talk- think about
1: that, but that that makes a lot of yeah, sense.
0: So talking about specific costs and where that would go is is not something that we can, w- would think of engaging in. Um, what I can say is that I think editing can be considered like any other technology a commercial producer might use if we look at things like vaccines or feed additives or, or a genetic line or a, or a new production practice, if we use this new technology, there's gonna be a cost to it. And what's the return on that cost? If we think in terms of disease, if there's a disease present in your production system, it, it, it has a cost. Um, you know, For example, if I have a disease on some percentage of my farms, uh, but not all of them, I can quickly take that cost and lost productivity and the increased costs that I have to put in and treating those animals and taking care of them. I can extend that cost over the rest of the pigs that I produce and, and really come up with a pretty simple formula to give me a per pig loss, if you will, from, from a particular pathogen. So if I'm going to invest in a technology to eliminate that risk, just like anything else, you know, my answer on what it's worth is going to be different than yours. It could be a different mm-hmm. than the person down the street and, you know, that's an individual decision that I think people have to to take on. But of course, our job as a genetic supplier on any technology we deliver is to be cost effective with that. The customer needs to have a return on their investment. We have to have a, the supplier have the ability to continue to reinvest in new technologies and innovate, you know, in order to keep a customer competitive long term. So I think there's a lot that'll go into that decision. It's a very individual one, but but that's the way I would look at it.
1: Right, right. Now, you mentioned that DNA genetics, being producer-owned, gives us a unique perspective. Can you really elaborate on what that means relative to the PERS edit and really any other gene-edited animal?
0: I I sure can. Our our interface with a commercial production system is one of the areas that I really value the most, and, and it's a tremendous opportunity for us. With all the promise that gene editing holds, uh, I think there is a producer perspective that we have to think through as an industry. And, and really, as an industry, we all need to get on the same page with a deep understanding to several issues. And there, there's some examples I'd like to give. Uh, first and foremost, I think it'll be on the front of everyone's mind is consumer acceptance of gene editing and livestock. I am hopeful And of course, optimistic that consumers will understand gene editing. They'll understand the benefits that it can bring to animals and to our food supply, you know, particularly in the area of disease and its effect on animal welfare. These are all very positive things for animals and for people, but we don't know the response and we need to understand that very well before deploying this technology. Even if FDA approval is achieved, it, it doesn't mean that the consumer will accept it on their dinner plate. So our customer is everything. We need to deliver what they want, you know, not what we think they need. There's some other considerations with that. For example, what, what will packer acceptance be of pigs that contain an edit? And, and which packer is gonna be the first one to embrace and market it gene edited pork? And, and packers, rightfully so, will make that decision based on their customer the retailer, and the retailer has the voice of the consumer. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure packers have gotten very far in considering the implications of this technology, but their perception and, and response is, is very much a part of the eventual success or, or failure of, of using this uh, in our pig populations. Packers have to consider the fact that they couldn't have to segregate edited and non-edited pigs. Uh, as an industry, we've generally not been very good at that. You know, except on a very macro level, that's, that's hard to implement. And, and then perhaps another one is actually labeling. Mm-hmm. The USDA, not the FDA, controls labeling of food products. And um, so w- what's going to be required for that label? Our belief as a company that the use of editing has to be very transparent to the end consumer. Uh, we just can't afford to lose trust in our product. So I think as a producer, that's really front, and front on our minds and, and important for us to understand.
1: You mentioned consumer acceptance and prior to my role with DNA genetics, I was with Nebraska's corn industry and I can attest to the fact that consumers don't always get behind biotechnology. I imagine this is an important thing to consider with gene editing, as you mentioned, but what other risks might exist?
0: So I I think there's several, um, as a pork industry, you know, when we think of, of deploying this technology, do we do we really want to be the first species to do that in terms of the being the first, you know, type of protein product to make and market at a gene edited animal? How how will pork be received relative to other proteins like beef, poultry, and fish? If pork is really the first major commodity to market, it, it really goes back to that acceptance question. So, as an industry, we have to consider if you know, do we want to Sheddy that trail ourselves alone? Do we want to collectively work with other proteins or do we want someone else to blaze that trail before us so that we can follow that path? Uh, I, I just think it's a key consideration. We don't hear it discussed very often and ideally we'd have some level of collaboration on the issue.
1: Yeah, let's talk about exports. Are there any considerations that we need to take into account in this area? Export markets are a big deal.
0: Uh, we Today we export over 30% of our pork. So this technology has to be accepted in those markets as well as our domestic market. And that entire approval process has to be considered for every market we go into. So if we consider things just in our recent history like ractopamine, you know, it only takes the rejection of one or two export customers for us to completely change a practice. It, it's all part of the acceptance process. We just have to be aware of it. Our international customers are just as important as our domestic customers and, and their opinions matter in all of this. Perhaps a, a final idea on that or a final comment that, that, uh, that I think of is, is, is probably not apparent at first, because as a producer, you want to get rid of PERS. It's, it's something that you don't want to deal with. But we have to consider the impact you know, on the hog market of a process like this. Uh, on the surface, eliminated, that's a good thing. But we don't know the exact number, but if, if you can take PERS out of the equation, there's going to be substantially more pigs on the market. Unless there's demand there to pick up the pork produced from those extra pigs, it could potentially result in lower prices. And we've got recent examples of that. You know, When we think of the advent of circovirus vaccine and what that did to us, even on the opposite side, when PED first came into our country, we reduced the pig supply and it had a substantial positive effect. I guess the point here is that these technologies do have the ability to move markets and we need to think about that and and be aware of it.
1: You've given us a lot to think about today and I feel like I have a lot more questions for you, Tom, but we're getting pretty short on time. Any final comments or or tips or anything like that that you want to talk about? Well,
0: certainly appreciate the time. Um, I really hope uh, I've had an opportunity to share some things that we need to think about as an industry. For us, when we put on our genetic supplier hat as DNA Genetics, we, we think it's very important for us to be at the table. Uh, we're making this investment. We want to provide a PRRS-resistant pig when the time is right. We're optimistic, but we're also cautious. So we put our producer hat on and there's truly a whole set of questions that we have to wrestle with and deal with as an industry. In the end, we want what's best for our customer, which is the pig producer. Uh, it's a privilege and responsibility for us to work for the many farming families that we interact with on a daily basis, you know, our goal, do what's right, give it our best effort to make sure producers are successful, and that's the most important thing we do. So really trying to have that balanced approach to, to any new technology we deliver.
1: Tom, at the very beginning of this interview, you mentioned that you've been with DNA Genetics for roughly 28 years. What keeps you going every day, or what keeps you passionate about coming into work day after day after day.
0: You know, for me, it's the people and the customers, not only the people on our team, but just being able to help pig producers be successful, for families to be successful, stay on their farms for the next generation. There's truly nothing more rewarding than really helping us produce food.
1: Finally, Tom, I wanted to tease what's upcoming on Inside the Helix. On our next episode, we'll be looking at moving into the warmer months and focusing on summer ventilation with Andy Jacobowski. That interview with Andy will be available on May 16th. And as always, you can follow along with Inside the Helix and DNA Genetics anytime online at dnaswinegenetics.com or on social media. Tom, thanks again for joining us today, and I really appreciate the time. Really interesting stuff that you're working on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix, presented by DNA Genetics. Inside the Helix is released every other Tuesday and is focused on what matters to the swine industry. To catch up on previous episodes, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us at your favorite podcast streaming platforms. You can also keep up with DNA Genetics throughout the year by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms.